The pandemic isn't over just because you're over it. The pandemic isn't over just because you're over it. The pandemic isn't over just because you're over it. Let me tell you again, tell you again. The pandemic isn't over just because you're over it. The pandemic isn't over just because you're over it. The pandemic isn't over just because you're over it. The pandemic isn't over just because you're over it. The pandemic isn't over just because you're over it. Don't be a dumbass. My God, welcome to Bevin, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevin. I'm so excited to start this show. That was Heb on the web. I found that on Instagram. I love these layered harmonies that we're getting in this time when people are creating with themselves at home (laughs) during our pandemic. Um, Today, I'm very fortunate to have spoken to one of my very best friends in the whole wide world, Rachel. She was actually the first interview i produced and and had on this podcast episode three if you want a little more of our backstory of our friendship um i actually kind of wanted to talk more about our debaucherous past in this episode but we didn't have time um but she is a corona survivor i am so grateful to say that like she is doing great and um the experience of having one of your best friends have a deadly virus during a pandemic when all the hospitals in atlanta are full um was really scary and it was, it sucked. And, um, it was one of those things where I'm just like, so grateful that I'm an energy healer because when you feel like you can't do anything, um, sometimes all you can do is pray. And, and all, I, if you're a person of faith, if you have a faith, if you have a prayer practice, it is such a relief to actually just do a thing. Right. And I believe that prayer really does help. I have experienced that in myself, like miracle, um, turns of emotion, miracle turns of situations because of a lot of prayer. Um, and so I, I was kind of like a concierge energy healer for Rachel for a while, like just like doing a lot of things, all the things I knew to do. Cause like, what are you going to do when your best friend's sick across the country and you can't actually help? Um, so anyway, Rachel, uh, it's an interesting story how she got the coronavirus, but essentially I can distill it to this sentence. She got coronavirus because a family member of hers uh, was bullied into not wearing a mask and eating in a restaurant. And um, and I just think of that every time I see people posting pictures in outdoor patios, I'm like, you are not safe. This is not a safe situation. Like, And I will say this too, I'm working super hard to be away from judgment in this time. This is such a great opportunity for me to really get into practicing what I preach, which is not judging other people. So really working to be in a space of, well, I'm making choices that align with my values and those people get to make whatever choices they make. But that means like, I have to be more of a defensive driver when it comes to wearing a mask. And Rachel and I kind of talk about that more in this episode But I want to just really refer you if you are feeling like um, the people around you are not in a climate of safety and caution that you would prefer to have, um, go back and listen to episode 49 of my podcast about people pleasing, because that's really like what bullies are doing is they're they're getting into your sense of belonging and the way that you um, have needs around acceptance. Um, And they're basically like using you to build up their fragile egos because they want to do a thing and they need the crowd to go along with them. So they feel good about what they're doing. That's often. And I can say that as a person who used to be more of a bully myself and like really, and it was mostly just like not understanding that there are different points of view and people get to have their own points of view and do their own thing. And that's okay. 
But, you know, I've been bullied. I've been a bully. Um, and I work really hard to just be completely separate from that. I'm not swayed by the opinions of others um, unless there's someone who I respect. And there's just like, you know, I have people who influence my life. Absolutely. I have mentors and coaches and people who I really like. They have fruit on the tree of what I want in my life. And I listen to them. But I'm not going to listen to just some random person who's like, well, I want to have parties on my deck. Um, we, we're fresh from a discussion in my neighborhood about like what's okay in the Corona times um, in terms of having caution. But I'm also a person in this pandemic. I am like, at this point, I haven't traveled. This is the longest I've ever gone in my adult life without travel, which is wild. Um, and even in, in as a child, I would go camping with Girl Scouts a lot. So um, I, I don't know if this is the longest time I've ever been home, but I, I'm just leaning into it as a new thing, right? Like I'm an experience this year not traveling and see what that's like to really dig into my routines. I'm actually kind of thriving, mostly because I focus really hard on my, my mental health and making choices about what's going into my brain and what feels nourishing uh, in this time and, um, and how I'm using my time and healing and just, you know, using this to, to just get better 1% every day. And that compounds. And I want to just offer that to you. You can use this time to get better too. Um, something else I just want to touch on simply because it's contemporary and I know some of the people, in fact, a, a good portion of the people who listen to this podcast don't live in the U.S. So, you know, I know you're looking at the U.S. and being like, what a shit show. And I can't agree more. It feels like our democracy is crumbling. It feels like we have a sincere lack of leadership. Um, but it's what's not true is that we don't have a lack of leadership. We have lots of leaders. And that's this we're not going to come out of this without each and every one of us learning how to lead ourselves um, and lead the people around us. And that's really just by being a good example. And I was very heartened recently. I watched an IG live from um, Alexandra Ortiz. Man, I can't even remember her name. The The representative from Astoria, Queens, AOC. We all love her. Um, anyway, she was talking about hope as a practice and hope as a discipline. And I couldn't agree more. Like you have to believe that in five years, things can be better. You have to believe like, um, in order to keep moving, you know what I mean? Like you, you could choose not to believe that things will get better. You can choose to stay in your dystopian thoughts and that's cool. But if you want hope, you actually have to really believe and that things will get better. Um, and she said, often people have a red herring where they're looking to find hope in external circumstances. And, uh, what is, uh, really interesting is that, she proposed, don't find hope in other things. Be the hope. Figure out how you can be hope. And that might be being of service. She suggested potentially like organizing a youth basketball league or like community food banks, things like that, where you're being of service, which is totally true. I've learned this from very wealthy, very happy people um, that when you're thinking of others and you're not thinking of yourself, that's where real happiness is. Real happiness is not like being self-focused. It's being others focused. Um, I truly agree with that. Um, I've, I've also known very miserable, wealthy people who have told me that wealth is just a more comfortable form of misery. So, so that really is a way to find hope. It's like being of service and doing the thing that's on your heart to do. But also she, she proposed just be a decent human being. Um, she specifically called out men. She was like, men, why don't you stand up for justice, stand up for what's right, stand up for things uh, when you hear things going down um, and, you know, step in between bullies and things like that. But really, I think it's just focusing on being a decent person. Be the hope. Be like a person of character, a person of your wor word. Make changes to take responsibility, right? Like there's a lot of ways that we can lead ourselves and be and just choose to be better. You know what I mean? 1% better every day. Uh, 
it's for me, it's like getting outside my comfort zone once every day and just doing the thing, reaching out to people, even though, you know, they might not write back or whatever. Like it's, it's just about like caring enough about people to get outside yourself um, and figure out how to find hope in a situation that feels wild. But I have to talk about this just because I really, I think voting to me is a moral obligation. I've never not voted. Um, I know that it, so many people fought and died for my right to vote that I'm not going to squander it. And so if you're out there and you don't have a voting plan, I just want you to really think about all the people who don't get to vote and how crucial your vote is. So make sure you register, request your absentee ballot right now, if that's what you're going to do. Um, but make a voting plan and then get a bunch of your other people who are close to you in your life to tell them, tell you their voting plan. One of uh, my questions I ask everyone I catch up with is tell me about the self-care you've been up to. Just because I think it's really good practice to connect with my friends around their self-care. Um, it also makes it front of mind for people who might not have self-care as front of mind. And I'm going to add to my questions for people, what's your voting plan? Just to, because having a plan, you know what I mean? Like I, my, I, I live so rural in the forest that we don't have a polling place. We all vote absentee. And so I know my ballot is going to come in the mail and I'm going to turn it right around and I'm going to drop it off right where it goes in, um, and where the county seat is. So anyway, that's my voting plan. What's your voting plan? Um, I hope you have one because I take this, I take voting really seriously, even if, if it doesn't, if I'm not passionate about the election, I'm so grateful actually for voters guides from like progressive outlets that like help me understand who aligns with my values. Uh, so I don't have to like really listen to the news or dig into that kind of stuff. I just get to know. Um, so anyway, that whole bit about hope, I was actually planning to make an episode of Bevan's Bites, but it fell. And Bevan's Bites is my exclusive podcast for my Patreon subscribers, which is through patreon.com slash FKDP, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash FKDP. And that's a membership site where creators like me get supported by folks who believe in their work and want them to continue to thrive and continue to make more work. Um, and it's the best way to support my podcast. Uh, I, I didn't actually think 2020 was going to be the year I became 100% Patreon supported. But because I lost a lot of my business because of the COVID outbreak, it is. And I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful for the people I get to serve there. Um, I also teach. So I have that exclusive podcast. I try to do like mini episodes, four minutes of things that I think will help people. And I've really been thinking about like, what is hope? How do people get hope? How can I help people kind of harness hope in this time that does not feel super hopeful? Um, and so I was going to make that an episode there. I might still, cause some people don't listen to my podcast for on my Patreon. Uh, but other things that you can find on my Patreon, you get free access to my zoom aerobics class, which is at 11 AM every Saturday on zoom Pacific time. Um, and I teach, uh, my aerobics class is called fat kid dance party aerobics. It's for anyone who feels left behind by mainstream fitness. Um, uh, if you've ever been called too fat, uh, too much or bit felt too awkward to dance. It's the supportive class for you. Um, I do a weekly online um, class that I film in the forest and I upload to my Patreon. So you get a fresh class every week. And there's always six classes to choose from a 10 minute, a 20 minute, a 45 minute and two 55 minute classes and a chair class, which is roughly 20 minutes. Um, and that is all a little menu for you to choose from. I love it because it's like a little better production value than what I can do on a Zoom. Uh, and uh, I also just love to teach this aerobics and I love to co-create with the folks who support my Patreon and believe in my work. So if this podcast is meaningful for you and you wanna chip in a couple bucks, 
every dollar counts. I mean, it's truly been like uh, my pleasure to create this experience on Patreon. And I'm trying to make it like the most uh, value possible, like an undeniable amount of value for 25 bucks a month. You get all those aerobics plus my my exclusive podcast updates I don't share anywhere else and all sorts of little goodies as I can add them to it. So as we get more folks who support, there's going to be more stuff I can offer. And I'm super grateful for all of you who already support the podcast and super grateful for all of you for tuning in. Um, I hope you learned something from my discussion with Rachel. um, And she's going to say something about people not wearing masks over their nose. Um, And I have already, it's already proved out. I saw this man at the store with his nose hanging out and I could not unsee what Rachel illustrated. I hope you love this episode. Have an amazing week. Rachel, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Bevan. I'm so excited you're here. I have missed you, my love. Uh, I continue to miss you. This time, just two years ago, we were together in Atlanta. All the memories keep popping up. I know. We were going to burlesque shows and swimming in public pools and going to crowded nightclubs and breathing air with people. We were riding in cars. With people in we were casually acquainted to. In Ubers yeah. with actual strangers driving us. Yeah, without partitions or masks on. Nope, not even a cloth covering our faces. Most of them possibly intoxicated themselves. Yes, hugging people, in fact. Passing joints. Or yeah. I was. <laughs> yes, with strangers. With strangers. <laughs> oh, how times have changed. How horrifying. <laughs> What a weird year. Hey, 2020. <laughs> Remember yeah. in the alternate 2020, I was like, hey, can I potentially park an RV in your driveway for a week? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was going to be on the road all summer teaching people aerobics. Oh, yeah. Traveling and like doing stuff. <laughs> Using public restrooms without fear of catching a deadly virus. Uh, no, I still had fears of deadly viruses in public restrooms pre-coronavirus. <laughs> I just didn't know the nature of what it was I might catch. But I feel like Atlanta specifically, with its chicken wing bone strewn streets, has always been ready to catch whatever virus the world could cook up. And bake a peach pie in celebration. Without gloves. Uh-huh. <laughs> or sneeze guards. Or sneeze guards. Or or the new thing that I've noticed at Publix is having your mask on, but just your nose out. Mm. Improper mask wearing. I'm like, that's not helping anybody, sir. Yeah, exactly. It's put just... that thing away. <laughs> that thing away. <laughs> I understand that you have pants on, but you really need to pull up the zipper for that to be effective. It's the same concept with a mask. Same concept. You gotta pull it up. Proper mask wearing, for sure. Um, and this is, okay, so we're on like coronavirus week 22, by the way. <laughs> week 22, I don't know how many oh months. God. I just know that I keep a count on my Fat Kid Dance Party aerobics videos, and every week I'm like, oh, it's week 20, whatever, of quarantine. I cannot believe how long it's been going on. Um, how many weeks does it take to grow a human? Oh, it's like 34 to be viable. So if, if COVID was a baby. COVID was a baby, a fetus. And, 
and yes, and you conceived it uh-huh. on the day that you started keeping count of it. Uh-huh. What fruit would it be the size of now? Oh my God. Wow. If COVID was a fruit at 22 weeks, um, I don't know. None of my friends are pregnant right now, which is weird. Yeah. Rare. <laughs> I'm used to knowing what somebody's baby's fruit size is on from an right? Um, those babies are on the outside now. I cannot imagine. Can you imagine being pregnant during a quarantine like this? I mean, I don't really imagine being pregnant. So whether I'm quarantined or not, honestly, if I was pregnant, it would be safer for everyone else if I was quarantined so that I didn't kill anyone. Oh my God. I imagine me being pregnant would just be a level of hormonal that is like Vanya in season one of the Umbrella Academy. Um, that's a nerdy reference I don't understand, but I bet somebody out there is really geeking out over understanding that. She emotionally plays the violin to deal with her childhood trauma until she blows up the moon. Wow. And then the resulting asteroid destroys the entire Earth. That is um, really hurt people hurting people. Right. Yes. Yeah. Through violin music. Through violin music, which actually, you know what? A violin can take you a place. Um, so. Anyway, coronavirus. <laughs> if coronavirus. If coronavirus was a baby, I don't know. But I, I'll say this. I'm kind of tucked into this existence. I think like there was a moment where I was like, July, July, it'll be better. And then now recently, I think Chrissy Tolley, one of my psychic friends told me March, April. And I was like, okay, March, April it is. So full year quarantine, you know what? I'm going to say quarantine, except for not getting to go to Atlanta, which is part of the SADS. Uh, Usually I will have been to Atlanta. Like it's been so long now. It's been more than a year since the last time I was there. Is this the longest it's been since you've been to Atlanta? Like since you've been coming to Atlanta? I think so. And there was a period of time too, where I was going like monthly. (laughs) Yeah, that was awesome. And I had a date and a good job. Uh, there's a lot of reasons. Um, okay. So the coronavirus has hit you, Rachel, one of my very best friends in a very yeah. tragic and real way. Um, I mean, it's, it would be tragic if I died, but I, I survived it. So oh. less tragic. Actually, you know what? Not a lot of your coronavirus experience was tragic in the end, but the unknowing felt like the experience of it. I don't know. Just as someone who loves you, like the, I think it was harder for people who love me, honestly. Ah. Uh, for me, I was pretty out of it. Like, mm. I, the memory of it now feels like a very hazy, feverish, waking up every day and being like, am I better yet? No, I'm not better yet. Mm. Okay, fuck. Um, and so those days like all melt together I think it was a lot harder for my loved ones who couldn't see me every day, couldn't be around me, didn't know how bad it was, heard I was going to the hospital, you know, heard I was still sick day after day after day after day. It's, it's terrifying. I didn't even really have the energy to be scared except in like bursts. Um, so every once in a while I had enough energy to be scared and really upset and like, um, but that it's exhausting to have that feeling. And so I would just fall asleep again. <laughs> uh, what was, 
the overarching description that you would give to your experience having the coronavirus? Um, I was lucky that I spent what I now know is about two weeks in a, a fever haze. Mm. Um, because, uh, you know, the very dear family friend, family member I caught it from is, did not have such an easy time of it. And I did go to the hospital for a very brief period of time, mostly to like check and make sure the symptoms I had weren't, uh, a sign of something worse. Mm -hmm. Um, but she spent, she was admitted to the hospital and spent days and days on supplemental oxygen. So, you know, it's just, you don't know what it's going to be for you. Um, and to know somebody who got it and, you know, had a 99 degree fever for three days and then was fine is anecdotal evidence that I think a lot of people are like, oh, if I get it, I'll just stay home for a while and watch Netflix and it'll be okay. You don't know if you're going to be staying home watching Netflix. You don't know if you're going to terrify all of your loved ones because you keep waking up with a fever. You can't stop coughing and there's no treatment for you and no, like, taking you to the hospital isn't going to help. Um, or if you're going to be on oxygen. So it's like. And being on oxygen isn't even as bad as it can get. If you have to get intubated, they right. shove a whole ass piece of plastic into your throat that could potentially like ruin your vocal cords forever and give you long lasting permanent damage if you survive. Right. Right. And that's, Which, it's just a whole spectrum of you don't know what's going to happen to you. You can, when you're struggling to breathe, your blood oxygen level drops. That's like the at-home monitoring sign when you have COVID of like, okay, once you get to this point, then you really do have to go to the hospital because they're going to be able to do more for you at the hospital when your blood oxygen level drops below 93 or 90. Um, and at that point, you're starting to do damage to your internal organs to not have the oxygen that your body needs. If you don't have a blood oxygen, a pulse oximeter at home, you might not realize that you're struggling that much to breathe because the only symptom really of not being able to breathe, it's not like drowning. It's just tired. Your lungs are still functioning. It's that the individual cells and pockets in your lungs aren't taking oxygen out of the air that you're pulling into them. And that's not always what you think it is when you hear shortness of breath. Yeah. Shortness of breath sometimes just presents as being really tired because your body's not getting oxygen to power itself. Um, and when your oxygen starts to drop, if you don't have the means to measure that yourself, you could get in a really bad place before you end up at the hospital. Yeah. Um, but they actually tell you, like, don't bother going to the hospital until you get down to that point because they're too full. Yeah. I mean, that's the scariest part of all of this is that the, the hospitals just can't handle it, which is why we're all quarantined because we can't all get sick at once because then everyone dies that has to get oxygen. And that's a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, there were multiple cities that just had refrigerated trucks parked outside the hospitals because their morgues were full. Yeah. Which is so like, that's what my friends Arnolfo and Brian said. That was the creepiest part of New York City at the peak of their first wave was like the refrigerator trucks on the streets full of dead bodies. Yep. That's wild. 
Like, because death is like a natural part of life, but it's not supposed to happen like that in big waves. Like, that's not really. And it's, you know, when it's a controllable circumstance, that is entirely the result of other people choosing to be selfish or not be selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, then it doesn't feel like a natural part of life. <laughs> feels like, you know, intentionally choosing to disregard life. Yeah, absolutely. What's so interesting too, and this will segue nicely into, well, okay, first let's talk about how you got coronavirus, just like, because oh, yeah. I've been, so I've been all tangled up in your polycule mm-hmm. in since the beginning or before even the pandemic. Um, and like, you know, lots of Marco Polos and texting and like, just kind of in this fun little social group, like while the world is collapsing around us, I remember all of us being like, Oh, I just lost this gig. I just lost this gig. Oh, all of these got canceled. And then right. like, cause there was just this, this unknown thing. And then you all were being just so careful and like carefully communicating with each other about your risk factors. Um, will you talk more about like the polycule, um, talking about the risk factors around coronavirus pandemic quarantining, and then how that like, I just think it's so ironic that you were so cautious and then one person added to the pod takes you down like a bowling pin. Yeah. So we did talk about a lot of the lead. I mean, our family, chosen family text group, if you step away from your phone for half an hour, you could come back to 85 text messages. So fast. <laughs> we're very chatty. We're very responsive. Um, we all in the text thread have iPhones. So there's little hearts popping up everywhere and spotlights and effects and bitmoji stickers on everything. And it's, it's a lot. We're a communi- communicative group. So when it became obvious that we were going to need to shelter in place and then quarantine and what the exposure risks were. Um, We were early mask adopters. Um, At that point, four of us were living here in the polycule. And so it was very easy for the four of us to stay on the same page. And then we had um, our two other local family members uh, were frequent visitors. And so we all established mask protocols very quickly hand-washing protocols, like don't greet each other first, essentially is, you know, that whole, as soon as you know better, do better. As more information came out, we adopted the best and safest recommended procedures. Um, Definitely not going to any crowded places, uh, limiting trips to the store. Uh, When it is necessary for somebody to go to the store, it's not a group event. Uh, you go in, you go in with a mask, you go in with gloves, you get what you need to get and you get out. Um, and then when you get home, I mean, even down to, we don't touch our phones in the grocery store. If you need to check your phone, you have to take that glove off, touch your phone, put another glove on after you put your phone away. Um, we stage our credit cards, you know, in the front pocket so that we can get to it without compromising the rest of our wallet or our purse. Uh, Like it was very detailed. And as we kind of would share articles about breakfast practices, all of us were on board. Um, We know we keep each other in the loop because it's almost like a safe sex conversation to us. You know, essentially a lot of, of us are fluid bonded with each other and 
we're used to talking about exposure points and risk factors and you know what is the uh, way to minimize risk even when you're engaged in activity that you know might be an exposure all very common conversations for us um, as non-monogamous people so it lended itself very well to developing parameters for our quarantine <laughs> um, it is difficult though when you want to be able to see friends you don't see as often um, and then uh, the two of us who are living here moved out. Jay and I stayed, of course, it's our house, and Maggie and Emily moved into their own place. So you're not all in the same place. There's more exposure points. Um, and then, you know, your family wants to see you, and you want to be able to spend time with people that, it, as it dragged, as the, dra the quarantine dragged on and on, you, you've got to find ways to make it work for you without feeling emotionally cut off or physically cut off so those of us who have family members local talk to our family members you know hey when I come over we're only going to hang out on the patio you know uh, we might get in the pool if you're on the patio so we're still far away or you know if we're going to come over and share a meal uh, we're going to bring our food and we're going to sit in the backyard and uh, you know, look at all the gorgeous flowers or garden or whatever. Um, and then talking to those family members when you're there and distanced and taking all the precautions that you would if you were dealing with a member of the public, essentially saying like, okay, so if you want me to come inside or if you want to give me a hug, I would need to know that you're wearing a mask everywhere that you go, that you're following the same protective procedures that we are. And then you got to go back to the quarantine and be like, hey, uh, you know, if I go see my aunt, she lives by herself, you know, she's very lonely. Here's what her risk points are, you know. She leaves the house to go to the grocery store because she lives by herself and nobody else does it for her. Uh, yes, she's agreed to wear a mask. No, she hasn't. And then the rest of the, the quarantine has to be like, okay, we're still in quarantine with you, even though we know that you're having this additional family member uh essentially within your contagion sphere the point at which things got risky was those older family members friends were shaming them about letting us run their life like oh how are you gonna let your son tell you that you can't go out to lunch with me oh, they're keeping you held hostage at home. Oh, you know, why are you bothering with that? None of us have been sick. And then they felt silly and they took risks. And unfortunately for me, I, you know, went over to cook a family member brunch, was inside, talking, chit-chatting, catching up, like, you know, oh, you had to go into the office this week. Oh, how was that? Was everybody wearing a mask? Oh, oh, they weren't? Did you come home? <laughs> and then finding out after the fact that essentially because they had been shamed for following the protocols we were all following, that they felt almost like what we were asking was an overreaction. 
they didn't know anybody who was sick. It didn't seem real to them. It didn't seem tangible. And you get that quarantine fatigue and your coworker says, you know, hey, let's go get some sushi. And you're like, okay, well, it's not that big a deal, right? Like, okay, we're going to sit on the patio. Okay, well, the patio is full. We're already here. I mean, we've already been in the office together. So yeah, let's get a table inside. It becomes a slippery slope of risk. And then for me, I found out after the risk had been taken and I was already, you know, inside making a casserole. So it inside making a casserole, it just all overlaps with safer sex discussions. <laughs> so seamlessly. So yeah. Inside, My sausage was already out. Yeah, your sausage is out, your your zipper's down, and you're like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> you yeah. waited at a restaurant? What? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, that breakfast casserole's already made. Yep. The uh, coronavirus was already passed. Yep. And, then, and the thing is, the sad part is, is that that family member was in the hospital for so long. You know what I mean? It was worse for oh, them. Oh, yeah by a long shot plus feeling shitty I think about like giving you the coronavirus because I can't imagine they did not feel shitty about that oh yeah and that's the thing is that like you know I've had folks ask me like are you mad like are you gonna talk to them again like are you ever gonna go want to go see them or again or hang out with them again and I'm like they got bullied Mm -hmm. into a a line of thinking that hurt them Mm -hmm. And I was a byproduct of that. But those quote unquote friends are the ones I'm mad at. Yeah. Their bullying is what resulted in me getting coronavirus. Their bullying is what resulted in my friends and family and my coworkers and casual acquaintances and possible frenemies on Facebook being very interested in whether or not I had a fever or could breathe or, you know, you almost become this person where, oh my God, you're the one who has it. I didn't know anybody else who had it. You hear about it every day. You talk about it all the time. Who, I don't know anybody who has it. And then to be the person who has it that people know and the kinds of weird questions, it's like, oh, you have chicken pox. Do you know how you got it? I mean, I don't, nobody asks anybody, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I don't remember anybody asking me that when I had chicken pox. They're just like, oh, shit, you got chicken pox. And, yeah. But that's like almost a fascination with where it came from. And they're comparing whatever your story is to their own risk factors whenever you answer. And it's just a mind trip from all levels, I think, for everyone. And to me, I think I'm most grateful for the people around me who maintain their parameters and when they didn't were honest, the honesty was very helpful. (laughs) It went out sick. Um, And I'm most mad at those who would bully other people's safety parameters. It's just entirely unacceptable. I can't, I cannot get over the fact that it was bullying. Yeah. There are some people where like I, am I'm like doing the opposite. I'm practicing this like kind of radical non-judgmental sort of vibe with people. I'm still judging them. I'm just working hard not to. <laughs> it's step one is awareness. 
have one is awareness. I was like talking to someone who's like, yeah, I went to Vegas, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? In my head. But I'm just kind of like, well, you took risks that you chose to take. And like, you know, may not be at all concerned about her well-being or the people and her family members well-being you know what I mean like it's I just it baffles me but I think it's really just like we're seeing this like society sort of split off into people who give a shit about other people and then the people who are like nah I just want my pleasure and my experience to be better and so I'm gonna just go travel like I live in a tourist area so I don't go anywhere you know what I mean? Because humans are the virus. <laughs> and so I go to the store. Do you live near Forks? Um, I don't live like, I'm, I'm on the way to Forks. You have to pass my house to go to Forks. Because um, she just released a new book. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Forks is nothing, by the way. If you're thinking about touring Forks, like, I have wanted to go just simply because I enjoy uh, glittery vampires as much as the next gal. Um, but I have my own forest. It's the same woods and I'm like two hours away from Forks and apparently there's not much over there anyway. And like, yeah, like a gas station. It's like, it's a very like, like just go to where they actually filmed, which are different places. But also, well, it came up for me today, um, (laughs) because I was listening to a podcast about autistic tropes in media and they, there was a bit of a discussion about rereading Bella in the Twilight series with yep. uh, the lens of autism um, and like a lot of the character traits mm-hmm. um, in that same way where you have like characters who read gay uh, yep. you can have characters who read autistic even though they never really disclose that outright and that I was like oh that's fascinating I never thought about that for Twilight but yeah huh. You know what's interesting is there's a lot of stuff we talk about very like casually and openly now, like mental health and like alcoholism. Whereas like I just put that lens over my grandparents and like wow. but, like the last conversation I ever had with my stepmom before she passed away was, you know, your grandparents are total alcoholics, right? And I was like, what? And she's like, it's not normal to drink as many martinis as they do every day. And I was like, Oh, you know what I mean? Like just, I was 19 years old. It never occurred to me that they were like, this was not a thing that regular folks did. But now that I look back on my, my Grammy specifically, she was the actual, it's where I had most of my physical abuse was from her. But I just put this lens on like undiagnosed mental health issues and like trying to manage her shit with alcohol and like also the, how toxic alcohol is for me just physically, you know, like I can't imagine she was not a happy woman. Um, you know, happy people don't beat their kids either or their grandkids. So not in my experience, (laughs) but like we get, it's so interesting, like having all of these different lenses to put over things. And like, it's so funny. We, you and I were supposed to have a conversation about coronavirus risks and conversations around mask use the weekend you got exposed to coronavirus. And then suddenly you've got the coronavirus. Yeah. So I was exposed on a Sunday. Yeah. Uh, The person who I was exposed to who had it developed symptoms like Wednesday, Thursday. Um, I developed, I woke up Friday coughing so much that I threw up. Um, and from that Friday on, I was sick. Um, it was terrifying as one of your loved ones. I can concur that it was terrifying to experience you go through that. Cause like, you know, you put a lot of risk out there loving someone for 18 years. And then right? 
and then they can just be snatched away by some virus, you know? Right. Well, and it's, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Either I am going to be killed in this earthly incarnation by something very dramatic like coronavirus, True. or I'm going to be 125. My vote is 125, because the thing is, you're going to look exactly like you look right now. <laughs> oh, it's so weird. So, Megali and I are celebrating our 14 friend anniversary this month. So, we met sometime this month, 14 years ago, at Georgia State, and we were looking at photos of the two of us throughout the years, and we both look exactly the same. Yeah. Different I was like, how do how have people not guessed that we're vampires? Yeah. I, I think they just haven't thought about it yet, but hopefully they will after listening to this episode of the podcast. Um, Rachel, do you have any final words of advice for people around mask use, being a good defensive driver, setting boundaries, like being safe, weathering a pandemic? I think definitely invest in masks that you feel good wearing, that are comfortable for you or fashionable for you. I have developed a a set of like gloves that I sanitize whenever I get home that coordinate with different masks I have. So it's fun, um, especially when I put on my reflective sunglasses and I just feel completely anonymous. So like find ways to get into the superhero aspect of mask wearing and come up with your superhero mask wearing persona so that you can remember that the whole point of you wearing your mask is to go out and protect others and to be your own superhero. Um, and definitely um, get tested often. There's a lot of free testing available out there. Um, there's at-home testing kits, which um, you can have your insurance cover for you or if you're uninsured can be covered for you so that you can get it at no cost. Um, so, you know, apply a lot of the same logic and guidelines and risk awareness that as queers we have learned through safer sex practices. Um, and if you see somebody who is not practicing safer sex uh, or safer shopping or safer being in public, uh, get the fuck away from them as quickly as possible. Don't have sex with that person. And yeah. don't be in their airspace. <laughs> yeah, don't eat the popcorn that they're making. All things that felt normal before. Yeah. Yeah. Remember? yeah. You remember when you would go to the fair and the, the person making the cotton candy would just stick their sweaty hand down inside there yeah. and swirl up all that fresh sugar and hand it to you? And that didn't seem like disgusting. Yeah. Remember when you could stand right behind some strangers to get on a rickety ride? And like you were just eating something and you touched that ride and then you went and ate something else and didn't even wash your hands. Probably didn't even use hand sanitizer. Just, just there got were days that. before hand sanitizer. Ugh, there were days before hand sanitizer. It's weird because there's stuff that I'm just never going to do again, even when Corona's over. Yeah. It's changing everything. It's good. It's right? better. It's, it's going like, to think... be better out of this. I don't think I'm going to go to a, a big Korean spa ever again. Really? Yeah. It's a lot of wet respiratory droplets. Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> that's I'm what you have to think of. Glad you didn't die. I'm glad I didn't die too. But going forward, when you assess your risk, it's not visible. It's just 
am I in a position where somebody else's respiratory droplets could get into my nose or mouth? Oh my God. <laughs> Avoid that. 